And we all got dreams, we all want things But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be And do you believe, you can do anything But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on X at TheLinesUS. And remember, if you want to tail or fade our college basketball picks, you can do so in the Lines Discord channel. A, that's where you can find all of our bets in real time. Sign up in the rules section. The link is over at TheLines.com in the top right-hand corner. And you can also sign up. First-time users get a promo code with BetMGM Sportsbook, The Lines, one word, to get up to... $150 in bonus bets. If you bet $5, you can also do the bonus bet back in return if your first bet loses. So up to $1,500 for that specific promo. But all the details over at thelines.com. Myself, Eli Herskovich, joined by today, Justin Perry. And for Steven Andrus, Justin is the content lead over at Shot Quality Bets. How are we doing today, Justin? Eli, uh, doing well, excited. It is the maybe the best time of year. Conference tournaments right around the corner, getting a lot of bubble talk, really feeling the college basketball flow. And I love late February, maybe almost more than early March. So having a great time, enjoying some live betting, which we're really dialed in on over at Shot Quality Bets and excited to talk some hoops. We got a great weekend coming up. Yeah, I don't think Illinois betters felt the same way as you did last night. Seven and a half point favorites at Penn State. Blew a 14 point second half lead. But not only that, up seven with 35 seconds left. Penn State comes all the way back. Coleman Hawkins misses a couple free throws, then fouls on a three point attempt. And Penn State hits all the free throws and goes on to win the game by a single point. Illinois, 18 turnovers. So the no point guard issue continues to plague them at least outright last night as we record this here on Thursday afternoon. And since January 24th, which is when Terrence Shannon came back from the suspension, Illinois 168th in adjusted defensive efficiency. It seems like everybody continues to preach, maybe not after last night, but before that, Illinois, Final Four sleeper, everywhere you look. I don't know, man. I'm concerned. I've been concerned about the no point guard issue plaguing them in the dance, especially when you think about late game ball handling and then defense continues to plague them as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, look, shot quality, of course, looking at those expected stats, you're not going to see uh, that type of scenario unfold too often in college basketball, right? Up seven with that much time left is usually pretty safe. So a shot quality expected win, but there's, there's something to this, right? Like when you continue to see teams maybe underperform in ways that might not necessarily relate to basketball performance, but maybe basketball IQ, or it's not necessarily coaching, but whatever it might be that isn't necessarily just shot development. Uh, that's kind of the red flag that I think we're both feeling here on, on Illinois. And, and can they really be trusted to, you know, carry a final four bet or even uh, an elite eight bet right now on a future, if you're thinking of locking up uh, a play there, but I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought that the Maryland game was a little bit concerning as well. So to see them be expected to lose that game, they won by five, expected to lose by five on the road, which isn't the most shocking thing. But then now to, you know, stay on the road and lose the next one where they're expected to win, you do see that balance a lot. So maybe some of that luck came back and bit them. Uh, they didn't hit a lot of shots. Penn State, really, I, I don't know if the small gym factor was a big thing there. 
something to consider, but they were hitting some tough mid-range shots. That is one of the areas pinpointed as, you know, maybe part of the reason they were even in range to steal that win. Yeah, Illinois in the 40-1 to range, speaking of ranges to win the national title, mixed in with Kentucky and Baylor, and we'll touch on both of those teams later on in the podcast. And one other, not to be biased to my state that I'm in, Illinois, but I'm a DePaul alum. Many of my followers and listeners know, viewers, I guess, too, on the Lions YouTube channel. If you want to comment with any hatred towards me for my bringing up DePaul basketball, maybe every other episode, but DePaul losing to Marquette, which was expected per the point spread, 27 and a half point dogs and Marquette coming off of that loss at UConn over the weekend in blowout fashion. But DePaul ranks 305th in Kempom. And since Kempom launched in 04, only one power six team has ever finished the year below 300. And that was Utah in 2012, which the Utes ranked 302 at the end of that season. And DePaul, so with that in mind, is in big, 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 big red flag territory to finish as the worst power six team ever. I Even I, as a DePaul love who hates DePaul basketball, never thought I would say that. That's, that's pretty severe. Shot quality, of course, you know, coming in is going to say there's been a lot of, you know, maybe unluckiness, but... I think it also just comes from, you know, the unwillingness, the air of the program is definitely a little bit lost. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're really going out there and trying much. They've dropped, you know, what, five of their last six spreads. They had a decent run. They covered against Butler, Marquette, and Creighton. Of course, all of them, the lines were north of 15, uh, but two of those were away <laughs> games. So, uh, look, they they were, they did maybe have some bright spots in that sense, but they haven't had a line really uh, under six since they or seven points since they played Georgetown and Chicago State at the turn of the year. So it has not been pretty. Uh, they did beat Louisville, though, so they will have that one over another power conference team. So maybe not the worst ever. Louisville was maybe on that trajectory early in the season, maybe has found themselves a bit. I don't really know. I don't think we get much out of DePaul here, probably continue to be a fade. It's It's just not pretty. And if you want to fade them on Saturday, good luck. They're a three-point home dog against Georgetown. No idea what to do with that game. No. And I don't think anybody wants to touch it nor watch it. Good luck to anybody going over to Wintrust watching that game on Saturday night. But, Justin, as we dig into the weekend slate, eight games to get into, one on Friday, five on Saturday, and two on Sunday, Houston-Baylor being one of the more notable matchups early Saturday afternoon. Kentucky-Alabama as well. That game total projected to be in the 190 range. So high scoring affair at Rupp as you would expect. But we start off with a Friday afternoon game in the Ivy League. Yale at Cornell. Cornell Big Red projected around a one-point favorite. Haslam makes this game very close to a pick. Yale 75.6. Cornell 75.3 and two of the best teams in the Ivy League, if not the two best. And Princeton, you can make the case that they are the best team or yep. one of the best teams in the mix with Yale and Cornell as well. But how do you handicap this game? It's a tough one. Uh, you know, I think this is a battle that could end up being the Ivy League, you know, battle for the bid come early March. Cornell has had a resurgent season. They are ranked a little low, uh, you know, in terms of what shock quality sees. You're not going to get that same level of love. They're currently sitting 
at 174th uh, definitely have been considered lucky. So in terms of looking at this one and, and how we're going to you know handicap it, I would lean towards Yale initially. Cornell has been very effective in terms of the way that they play the game, right? They, they are almost a model of what shot quality would say to do in this sport because they are second in rim and three rate in the entire country, 54th in developing expected points off of those looks. So uh, doing the right things, leading uh, top 25 teams in shot selection. So somebody, somebody smart got in their ear, Eli, and said, take a lot of threes, drive to the hoop. And those are the most effective shots on the floor. It's the truth. It is working. Uh, but, you know, they are definitely getting a little bit lucky. The quality of the shots allowed on defense at the rim are a little weak. And then, you know, they allow opponents to take a lot of threes too. But that's probably a product of winning uh, and being ahead. So I, I like this Cornell team. I think at home, it, it's tough. This is, this is such a good line. I would have to lean towards Yale just because we've seen so much you know, lucky performance from this Cornell team. They have had a lot of games that have, you know, just went their way per shot quality stats. Uh, you know, the win at home against Harvard, the win at home against Princeton, both expected to be losses. The win on the road against Brown expected to be lost. So, yeah, they've uh, they've had some pretty big wins that maybe could be perception shifting is something I always like to talk about. It's not exactly a science, of course, but um, when a team does have those three, four extra big wins, you can get a little bit of a, a difference. So I, I do think Yale is probably the more sound team under the hood. And in a late season battle, I, I lean towards Yale. If you go back to the last time these two teams played on February 10th, so about a couple weeks ago, a little less than that when this game tips on Friday night. Yale, 17 offensive rebounds, 22nd chance points. So they converted pretty much all of those second chance opportunities. Cornell, though, like you mentioned with their shot selection, 10 of 25 from behind the arc. And Yale allowing the 43rd highest three-point scoring rate in college basketball. So if Chris Mann is going to continue to get those looks for Cornell and the shot selection is going to be there, it makes sense. And it is a revenge spot. I make this game around... Cornell minus one. So I don't have an edge, but I do think if Cornell's getting good three point looks, they can potentially squeak out a revenge game here. That that game, I'm glad you actually brought that one up. I pulled up the uh, recap here. Cornell shot 76% at the rim on that game and Yale shot 10%, one of 10 on mid-range jumpers. And they won that game by two shot quality expected 18 points. So you, you said it wasn't even that long ago. I... I always go back and forth. I teeter between, you know, how much can change and or revenge game, right? And like, it could be a drastic shift. I, I tend to think that, again, Yale got a little unlucky. Cornell, another example of this, you know, incredible season, 17 and four. I don't think anybody really saw that one coming. Uh, so yeah, this could easily be a spot where, you know, the the true number one team in the conference right now, which I do think is Yale, gets a big road win and and there isn't room for revenge because Cornell essentially played their best possible game against Yale on the road and still lost by two. If we get an, a median performance, I, I do think Yale gets it done. So what number would you play Yale to Bulldogs? Oh. Maybe this game opens around a pick. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, if you can get plus one, that's awesome. Uh, I would, I would probably play minus one and a half as the furthest. I, if it gets too far, I, I do think the money line is probably the way to go with this one, though. You, it couldn't seriously be a one-point game. So uh, I would probably lean towards just taking it uh, raw on the money line. 
On to the Saturday slate. Houston projected to be a three-point favorite at Baylor, one of the best teams in college basketball, and priced accordingly in the national title futures market. Cougars dominating Iowa State down the stretch on Monday night. Didn't cover because Iowa State hit a couple free throws in the final seconds and didn't foul down eight. So anybody with Houston minus nine is probably still licking their wounds. But when you think about, I tweeted this out Monday night, man, how to beat Houston's no middle defense or pack line defense. I mean, they pack you in the middle and they force you to hit shots from the outside. They also pressure the ball really well from around the arc. So it isn't, easy to get off clean shots, but you have to be an elite shooting team and Baylor ninth highest effective field goal percentage in college basketball, second highest three point clip at around 40% Houston allowing uh, 26.3% three point percentage on above the break threes. But when you look at corner threes per CBB analytics, it shoots up to 41%. And that's where it gets into the range of, okay, transition offense and dribble drive opportunities because that's where those corner threes predominantly come from, which is what we saw with Creighton and UConn on Tuesday night where the Blue Jays shot the lights out. And we'll touch on Creighton a little bit later on in the podcast, a big bounce back opportunity for UConn on Saturday night against Villanova. I think Dan Hurley per his tweet Mm -hmm. certainly feels the same way, but The issue for me would be Baylor, if you want to back the Bears, their interior defense allowing a 66.9% at the rim field goal percentage, which ranks in the 12th percentile. And that's where Houston can be dominant when it comes to generating second chance shots and finishing at the rim. And then also Langston Love, who is the seventh highest three-point percentage in college basketball at around 49%. He played against BYU on Tuesday in that loss but still dealing with an ankle injury, so we don't know how effective he's going to be. I make this around Houston minus one and a half, minus two, but just because of Baylor's, I mean, defensively, this is not the Baylor team we're used to, at least as of two yeah. or three years ago. They've they've taken a big step back at that end of the floor. So even though they might get some clean looks from three, especially in the corners, and be able to space out this Houston no-middle defense, I still worry about them being able to clean up on the defensive glass. I I worry there too. Um, you know, there's some worries, red flags for me with Baylor as well in terms of looking at their shooting performance. Both these teams, pretty interesting. I mean, like you said, Baylor, one of those has a flamethrower right now, but their three-point percentage currently sitting around 40% for the team expected to be a lot lower on the season. So some of those uh, early season numbers in terms of their efficiency could be a little bit inflated their rim play has been really good in conference shooting close to what like 59 60 percent at the rim right now that's expected to be a lot lower from shot quality but their defense is also expected to be a lot better Uh, it's is a really tough spot for me I, i think i lean houston they've definitely been getting a little bit uh honestly lucky in in the early season but now we're seeing it they haven't really been covering uh, some of these lines are getting a little big. I tend to think that you can find yourself a, a good spot here in state rivalry between Baylor and Houston, a new one, right? Uh, I, I like Houston's ability to go in there. This is a really, really well-coached program. The turnovers forced for me is always such a big deal. Baylor could you know, find itself on the end of some of those kill shots that Houston is so effective at putting on uh, that their defense really fuels. So 
Eileen Houston, I'd play it, you know, up until basically a possession there. I'm pretty confident that they get this one done and cover. And you brought up turnovers. Glad you did so. Baylor, 21 turnovers in that loss at Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas. And granted, Love didn't play in that game, but he's not really a primary ball handler. So Dennis and Nunn can be loose with the ball, which is a big issue against Houston's ball pressure. Yep. It could be a big problem for sure. It could get it, that that could you know lead to it being you know a little deflating and and you can see sometimes in in these big games if there are a lot of turnovers the crowd could get pretty deflated if Houston has a strong first half. So um, I don't know. This is a big test for Houston in, the, in a way of like how are they going to deal with some of these you know bigger teams? They're thinking tournament right. Everything right now is is dry runs for the tournament. They're feeling really good in the Big Twelve. Everyone was saying they wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, they look great. So. Now their eyes are definitely forward. Uh, I think they're in in cruise control and, and they get it done. Yeah, Haslam in line with your line of thinking with this game, making it around a four-point spread. Houston 67.9, as you see on the screen. Baylor 63.7 is his projection. On to, so stay away from me with those first two games. On to Duke at Wake Forest. This game, I'm glad, is on the slate because... You tweeted out something that Steven and I discussed on Tuesday's podcast when it came to lines being inflated and maybe looking in the other direction. Not, I hate to say, like fading the market steam. You right. get a lot of anti-steam chasers. There's a lot of terms. <laughs> right, right, right. But sometimes a line can be inflated with a spot where you want to take a look at the other side. I'm not saying I'm looking in that direction because my counter to you with that would be there are games where it's the antithesis where sure. like Utah state and San Diego state uh, Aggies close as around a three point home favorite and they win the game by two or three possessions against the Aztecs. So it can go both ways, but I definitely oh, yeah. understand your sentiment when it comes to maybe uh, the market steaming a line too much, especially in some of these situational spots where that wasn't the case four or five years ago, at least when it comes to the college basketball betting market. But Duke at Wake Forest, Wake Forest projected to be about a one-point favorite. Haslam makes this Wake Forest 75, Duke 74.1, so right around Wake Forest minus one. My numbers have this closer to Duke minus one, but again, I think you're going to be paying a premium for the spot with Wake. I would prefer to just not touch this game. My raw numbers don't really have any sort of an edge here. Like we saw with New Mexico and Colorado State, granted on Wednesday night, that was a three-possession line, but that was kind of the point that I was bringing up from the get-go in terms of this game. Sometimes a line can be inflated to the point where New Mexico wins, good spot for the Lobos, but Rams cover. Right. No, I I think, you know, there's no science there. It's about the furthest I go into what I call reading the tea leaves of the market. It's not ever going to be exact if – tailing steam or fading steam was a way that you could easily profit they would steam it more right like that's the whole idea so um i'm i'm always sort of trying to look at it in just sort of maybe a little bit more of a meta sense try to you know understand anecdotally the way the market has shifted the way that you know people look at certain models how ken palm is is used revered used setting openers versus the way it was years ago uh you know we've kind of come full circle so uh, it's, it's always a battle and I think it's always good to be thinking about it. I'm not a hundred percent set on anything that we saw another one of those spots work out in an interesting way where, you know, Colorado state and New Mexico, like you said, it's just, you never really know. So I'm not, I'm not set any which way, uh, this game right now for me 
shot qualities data pretty much lines up with where you're at a slight slight edge for duke here but if i'm gonna have to take like you know a minus two minus three for wake forest yeah i'm definitely looking away i would maybe i would maybe think that duke on the money line might just have a little bit too much value but this is a clash of the taxes of the spot taxes because you're never really you know duke is one of those teams that i believe can sometimes have just like a favoritism uh you know penalty almost where a lot of people bet duke books know that it's like the yankees sometimes some of these teams it's just it's hard to get an actual edge on them by the percentages uh based on you know what some of these models have so i'll stay away from this one the acc is uh an interesting conference but Wake has the defense to stop Duke, especially in their own building. So I could see them getting the win. It's it's a big pass. This is going to be a great game. Wake Forest, an exciting team. Uh, this should be a great a great matchup. Yeah, and Duke has won five in a row, including an eight point win over Wake Forest. Yep. Going back to the beginning of that five game streak, I think at Cameron and Wake Forest coming off of a big win over Pitt. That was kind of a not a similar spot, but still a bounce back spot for Wake after getting losing in pretty drowning fashion at Virginia over the weekend by two mm-hmm. covering some numbers. I think that line closed three at some shops, but wake forest yeah. actually put up the best performance on offense in ACC play in the Kempom era. Speaking of Kempom records on Tuesday night, 1.44 points per possession against Pitt. And going back to that first meeting against Duke, wake shot six of 26 from behind the arc. This isn't necessarily a three point reliant Wake Forest offense, but I think Duke is due for some three-point regression, similar to what we saw with UConn on Tuesday night, allowing a 27 or 21.7% three-point clip on corner threes and 24.5% on above-the-break threes during this five-game winning streak. So if Monsanto and Salas, Hunter Salas, one of the more underrated transfers really in college basketball coming over from Gonzaga or on from three, I think Wake gets it done, but... I think we're both on the same page here that the market is going to steam wake pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. I do think they will. I think, you know, probably again, good stay away. Enjoy that game. ACC has been very interesting. Maybe, maybe look towards, I want to say an under, but I, again, I, I'm not really sure. I like your point on the three point regression though. Duke definitely, uh, you know, teams shooting 30% against them right now in conference play shot quality is going to tell you it should be about 34% working out to about a 3.4% difference. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Threes are really valuable. If teams, you know, are getting cold against you, you're going to have a better opportunity to look good, win games. And uh, it might not necessarily just be your defense. So it's cool to try to separate that, right? Are we just getting lucky? Are they playing good defense? I think that's one of the fun questions shot quality can help you answer. Yeah, and if Monsanto is on, one of the best pure shooters in the country, and he's starting to, I think, get healthy. So that's a pretty big deal for Wake Forest. And also, you mentioned the Demon Deeks. Their defense has really come on in ACC play of late, for sure. So staying in this conference, UNC projected to be a four-point favorite at Virginia. Haslam makes this a little shading towards the who's after that blowout yep. loss to Vatek on Monday night. Haslam has it as 66.5 UNC to Virginia with a 63.1 final okay. outcome. So around a three point spread, I make it closer to UNC minus two nice. and an interesting spot because UNC coming off of that by essentially one week by after blitzing Vatek last Saturday, Virginia losing to the same Hokies team on Monday night by 31 points. They've lost two of their last three games after winning eight straight. So a little bit of regression from 
Virginia, but big and interesting nugget for Virginia when it comes to home road splits, a 25 point differential when it comes to their home road splits and conference play with the edge towards when they play at home. And it's also situationally the spot favors Virginia coming off of that Vatek loss. I know UNC is well rested, but you know, you're going to get a fired up Virginia team. UNC hasn't won in Charlottesville in 12 years, not using that as a trend to bet, but I actually think it kind of plays toward the way Tony Bennett schemes up his offense with that blocker mover offense, because UNC's, Cutting defense in particular, but also just ball screen defense with Armando Baycott has been a big concern in ACC play, and they've allowed a 75.9% at the rim field goal percentage, which is in the lowest percentile nationally, and also opponents shooting 46.2% in the paint during this five-game stretch. So I think UNC's defense is in trouble against a very, very intact Virginia offense when they're able to play at that pace with one of the better point guards, two-way guards in the country in Reese Beekman. So I think you get a bounce-back effort from Virginia. My raw numbers, like I said, have an edge towards the Who's. So I like UVA in this spot. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. Shock Qualities data actually has this one even tighter. 1.2 points. Virginia expected to uh, slow this one down a little bit. Of course, 66-67.2 win for North Carolina as the projection UNC is a top 10 shot quality team. So uh, it's definitely going to be a big battle. I I think my lean here, honestly, Eli, is to go for this game to start slow. Virginia to come out with that defensive presence. Um, you know, UNC does move kind of quick, but that's, that's not going to fly here. So uh, I do think you can um, maybe look at this and, and say that the UNC tempo could have this one a little higher than it should be. We've seen Virginia continue to be a first half force. Teams can take a minute to figure it out. Uh, that's just the truth. And then they can sort of like, you know, get better looks towards the end of the game. They understand, you know, the way to actually run their offense to penetrate what they're seeing from Tony Bennett and co. So, yeah, I like that first half under. I like that just generally in terms of how Virginia has been playing. Um, and, and I think we do see a tightly contested game coming down to the wire, which could lead to overtime, you know, a lot of free throws. So, yeah, if you're going to go under here, go on the first half um, there. You're not going to get a, a great rim and three rate from UNC anyway, which is always nice to see when you're thinking about unders. And Virginia is literally the worst. So, uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> 10 off the worst. 353rd. Uh, I thought I saw 363rd, but there aren't 363 teams anymore. Uh, so I needed to understand that. But yeah, I, I do think we'll see a slower one. Virginia shot making very worrisome. They're going to rely on the defense. So uh, under is the lean. Going to sit back and watch and see who wins what I expect to be a rock fight. Definitely correlates with UVA too in terms of your first mm-hmm. half under mm-hmm. look. One last thing on the ACC, because I noted this in my column from last week over at thelines.com, which you could find there still. And also on the podcast, Clemson. I still really like this team at around 27 to 1 to make the Final Four. I bet 28 to 1 last week, 27 to 1. You can find that number over at FanDuel. 
And a big reason why is, I mean, we continue to see this team excel on the road. So whether it's neutral courts like we saw in non-conference or on the road, they bounce back from the NC State loss. Another one-point loss. Their last three losses by a combined three points, all one-point margins. Insane. And they blew out Georgia Tech on Wednesday night. Since Jack Clark, the NC State transfer, got healthy and was inserted back into the starting lineup, which... Took place on February 6th, the win at UNC, which Clemson never does. Clemson 12th in terms of overall efficiency, ranked number 21 in adjusted offensive efficiency and 29th in adjusted D. I think this team is starting to peak at the right time. You have a five-out offense that's very tough to match up with in the tournament in general. P.J. Hall, Shefflin, Clark. I mean, that's like 6-8 and above range when it comes to height three through five, and then Gerard and the rest of Clemson's guards are really good shot makers. So Chase Hunter at the two-guard spot. I really, really like this Clemson team to make a deep NCAA tournament run. I mean, yeah, I do too. Uh, Outside of Filipowski, who's better than P.J. Hall in the ACC right now? I I don't know, you know, who, I don't, I I mean, I know who's next in that list, but he's set himself apart. It's been a really, really great season for the seniors. So I'm really excited to see how they look. I I like when you can have, uh, you know, a a big guy who you can depend on. I think it's this Clemson team is built properly for a run. Uh, We've seen them sort of flirting with it. You know, their offense is fiery and I think uh, it's going to be fun. So yeah, I I do like the team. I'm not, you know, locking up the future just yet. I I maybe want to see how they do, a couple interesting spots could stumble a little bit at the end of the season. I have to go uh, to Wake Forest right before they start the tournament. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see them, you know, have their eyes set so forward that their ACC tournament play doesn't necessarily look great. Maybe get a, you know, people sort of start talking about their teams, forget a little bit about what we're seeing here, and then they get right for the tournament and uh, have a nice pathway to making a Sweet 16 Elite Eight run for sure. Yeah, and you look at before that weight game, that was kind of the trigger, pulling the trigger for me on on this Final Four feature just because mm-hmm. ahead of the Demon Deeks, now four straight games where they're projected to be favorites and two possession favorites and above. So it's a good path to see the number dip. I think you're getting the buy point, the right buy point here for Clemson, even if they stumble at Wake Forest, which could be a play-in game for the Demon Deacons to maybe seal an NCAA tournament bid. We'll see how the rest of their season goes regular season wise, specifically against Duke on Saturday, but staying on this Saturday car, Justin sec over to that conference, Alabama projected to be a big game, two point road favorite at Kentucky. Haslam has this closer to Alabama, a little bit short of a one point favorite. I'm right there with the Haslam projection. Where are you looking for this game? If you are at all. Oh, I, you know, this is going to be a really, really interesting one. Uh, the game of the day, uh, without a doubt. I mean, at the top of all the thrill score excitement ratings out there. Um, Kentucky, I I still think this is a really nice spot to grab uh, the, the home dog, honestly, here in Rupp Arena. I, I do think Kentucky can d- get right off of, uh, you know, what was a pretty tough, awesome shot for LSU, but a tough loss and Kentucky, they got, they got their guy. I I mean, what you're seeing out of Rob Dillingham is awesome. Antonio Reeves, DJ Wagner, the supporting cast looks good. I think this is going to be a packed house 
Alabama's offense looks great, but their defense, it leaves a few questions, right? Like this is maybe one of the most efficient offenses we've ever seen and one of the most efficient years we've ever seen. Uh, but their defense, you know, ranks outside the top 70 on Ken Palm. So uh, they, I do think that we could see this one really approach that 180 point range. I do very naturally lean towards the under just on high numbers. I, I just can't help it, but I'm going to stay off that lean towards Kentucky. Uh, this has been a very good run for Alabama. They've only dropped two games. They were at Tennessee at Auburn, but you know, even though those teams were top 10 in the, in Ken Palm's rankings, when they went there, this is, this is a tough one. This is a really, uh, you know, Kentucky is still Kentucky. So I do expect them to get up for this game. Alabama has made these big runs. This would be a great win for Kentucky as a program coming off that loss. They've had a tough go, lost to Gonzaga, lost to Florida at home in OT. I don't think they're going to suffer their third, their fourth home loss of the season. Uh, yeah, uh, give me give me that. Uh, they'll, they'll be their fifth. They lost to Wilmington. I forgot about that one early in the season. Yeah, I think I think they get the win at home. I'll take the money line on Kentucky if I'm making a play. I want to dig into the numbers here in a second when it comes sure. to both teams. But where do you think the market opens this line? Because you said Kentucky, and the projections agree, mm-hmm. Kentucky a home dog. But, I mean, when we talk about the market shading towards spots, it's going to shade towards Kentucky, no, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to open as a pick em, uh, if I had to guess. Uh, maybe minus one for Kentucky if the market's over-aggressive and trying to beat the public or, you know, the sharp money or whoever is loving these spots over time that continues to bring the line, you know, two, three points off the Ken Palm number in in favor of these home teams and these big spots. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think if, if you're thinking about that I, again, it's, it's only, it's tough. It's tough. You don't really want to pay that price. I'd like to get Kentucky on the money line at like plus one Oh five, but it's probably going to be minus minus one ten, minus one fifteen, And, uh, it's a little bit of a tougher pill to swallow, but it. I think here it's the right call, independent of the of the line. I think the handicap is that Kentucky gets the win. Yeah, and it's a great spot, like you mentioned, coming off of that LSU loss and a look-ahead spot to this game. Right. A couple of concerns for me, though, coming out of it, not that nobody else does, because, uh, I mean, Kentucky's defense regressed after they played well against Ole Miss, played well at Auburn. I thought... Going back to that Saturday loss for my Tigers futures, I thought Auburn was kind of shocked. A, because Jalen Williams goes down in the second half, which kind of took some steam out of their momentum. But also, Kentucky just flamethrowing defensively, especially Onyenso around the basket in the first half to really yeah. string some of those transition opportunities ahead. But Kentucky allowing 1.06 points per possession at LSU. I know you said Rob Dillingham is a bucket, which he is, and probably one of the more underrated shots of the season, contested shot to take the lead before Tyrell Ward had the putback. But whose man was that at the other end of the floor? It was Rob Dillingham. Right. Yeah. So no, I understand. A, a, another defensive lapse. And then one last thing before you before you maybe counter or agree no, with the have, defensive issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kentucky twelve and two. When Dillingham plays fewer than 24 minutes, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's a little damning, isn't it? Um, and, and shock quality's been kind of against 
what Kentucky has been about this year has them as pretty lucky, um, especially around the spread number. Uh, it's, it's kind of mind blowing to see 15 and 11 ATS per where shot qualities marked the closing lines. Of course, books and all that stuff. It could vary a little bit, but the shot quality ATS record is five and 21. Pretty unbelievable um, to see their shot quality record is 13 and 13 on the year, which is a little bit different than the 18 and eight they are right now. So, yeah, if you it, they've really gotten this to this point by keeping control of the ball, uh, moving fast, and being very, very efficient shooting from three. Um, they just they have they lead they lead shot quality and three point efficiency. So uh, I I do think there's obvious defensive laps. Their defense uh, does really just give up far too many points, especially on threes. Uh, they do allow like one of the worst clips in terms of off the dribble threes, which usually means that you're able to make space against them. Uh, and I would imagine that it correlates pretty well to a, a bad defensive spacing yeah, outside the top 200. So um, there's a lot to be desired here. They're not forcing a lot of turnovers either. So it could be, yeah, I, I could, I could see this one soaring over, man. We could, we could get 190 points. It's, it's crazy to say, but it's very possible. Just trading buckets, high power game. I think the the only thing I know for certain about this one is I am definitely tuning in to watch it. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing that kind of benefits Kentucky should be getting back or potentially getting back Trey Mitchell from the shoulder injury, which would help out spacing in Alabama's defense uh, when Kentucky's on offense, but also defensively. I know Trey Mitchell isn't the best when it comes to ball screen coverage, but Kentucky's defense has been struggling mightily in that category with him out. So you would think it would be a net positive for them defensively, but with the way their guards are handling dribble penetration and to your point, off the dribble threes, who knows? One other thing on Alabama, I thought Florida, even though they dominated the offensive glass, just like Texas A&M did and converted on their opportunities to cover despite losing at Alabama. I still thought the Gators got a little bit fortunate just because Alabama shot around 25% from three. I know defensively that's another story because Alabama can't stop a nosebleed either like Kentucky, but got unlucky when it came to open threes, especially in the first half. And then one last thing too, when we mention poor defensive teams in the tournament, whether it be Kentucky or Alabama, Kentucky especially going to be a very tough bracket team to figure out. But when you look at since 2003, there have been five Final Four teams with a defense ranked outside of the top 170. Marquette, Butler, that was going back to, I think, their first tournament run when they were ranked, let's see here, I think, yeah, outside the top 70, 72nd in adjusted defensive efficiency. VCU, UCLA going back to that run to the final four a few years ago in 2021 and then Miami last year. So it does happen when you get explosive guard play, but it doesn't happen often. Yeah, it does. It does really take like some special guard play. And I honestly, I think I mean, Miami last year forwards too. It wasn't like it was just one dimensional, right? So I think it does take a, a special offense to outweigh that. Um, and I mean, Alabama, these, both these offenses probably have the offensive firepower uh, to make you forget about some of those woes. Um, again, Kentucky's defense, there's so much worry about opponents shooting against them to me. They don't defend the mid-range well. They, they do force a good amount of mid-range, but 
the shooting has been so hot. There's, there's, I feel like, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty out on Kentucky in terms of the long-term look, you know, I would never take a future on this team. I would never uh, take, you know, even like elite eight, sweet 16. It's just not worth it to me because they've been electrically hot, right? You don't just sit there and have a 1.18 points per possession this season. It's, it's ungodly. Uh, 1.09 is where shot quality expects. And then on, on defense too, 1.04 current versus 1.09. So there, there is, they're waiting to have this regression. Like I said, that massive difference between shot quality spread and actual spread result. I trust long-term shot quality is going to get that right more times than not. You simulate the end of this season, the Kentucky tournament run 10,000 times this season, based on what we've seen, I would expect them not to return value more often than not. So Kentucky's a little bit of a stay away. This game specifically, of course, game to game, it's very different. But like I'm, I'm talking about, like I think they will eventually just have a game where they just can't hit their shots. Is that going to be this one? I don't know, um, but it's probably coming. They're gonna, they're gonna have this terrible regression shooting game at some point, and I hope for their sake it's you know against Vanderbilt at home and not you know in the second round of the tournament because they are a fun team, and I do like Dillingham, and I do like these offensive. Uh, you know, powerhouse teams. It's it's fun. It's it's kind of where college basketball seems to be shifting. So uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, and it, going back to something that Stephen and I were discussing on the early week show, mm-hmm. you generally want to back a high volume three point shooting team that can lead to high variance one way or the other when they're a double digit dog or a long shot to make an NCAA tournament run, kind of like Clemson in a sense at around twenty seven to one to make the Final Four. Alabama, the one reason why I like them a little bit more than Kentucky, because if they have an off shooting night, both teams are poor defensively, like we discussed, but they're pretty good on the offensive glass, like we saw yesterday against Florida and overall this season ranking inside the top 25 in offensive rebounding rate. So they do attack that area when the shots don't go down and also Right cell didn't play one of their better three point shooters. Just one little note against Florida, which might have limited some of those three-point makes in the first half like I was hitting on. But offensive rebounding-wise, Estrada, five offensive boards against Florida. Griffin had four. So the effort is there. Pringle off the bench, too, who was, I think, starting for stretches last year, had eight rebounds overall, three on the offensive glass. So just one reason why maybe I think Alabama might have a bit more upside come the tournament. Yeah, no, I I think you you're hitting the nail on the head with it. It's hard to not... I mean, love being enamored. I, I don't know if you saw that uh, shot chart the other day. They're they're shooting the right way. They're going in the rim. They're taking the threes. I mean, I think they probably the only other team, like we just said, was Cornell. Uh, that's that's sort of doing it more. Uh, so yeah, I, I I will always support Alabama in that sense. Kentucky, I think you know, uh, lacks a wants to be what Alabama is, and that's why we're seeing this line is going to be really tight, even with the spot. Um, Alabama is the, I guess, the more elite version kind of right now. Yeah, and Calipari was clearly prepping for the game last night, only taking two post-game press conference questions and then saying he had to dip out of there because it was an early game on Saturday. This one tips at 4 p.m. Eastern time against the Tide. So 
that was just odd. He's yep. he's talking trash to the media after the win at Auburn, and then that's Cal for you. I'm not saying that it's unexpected, but like, what are you doing, man? Kind of thing. Kind of like Patino. At least his players came to his defense after they came back, nearly blew another lead, but somehow hung out against Georgetown last night on a Wednesday. But over to one final Saturday game here. We're going to try to breeze through these final three games, a couple on Sunday too. Drake mm-hmm. at Northern Iowa. Bulldogs projected to be around a four-point favorite per Haslam, 74 to 69.6 in Drake's favor. I make this closer to Drake minus five. Why did this one stick out to you, Justin? I mean, this is a huge game out here, Eli. And and shot quality's numbers line up with what Hasla has right at four. Um, so, yeah, into that one. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. Northern Iowa in the Missouri Valley Conference uh, is still fighting. Uh, you know, nine and eight. Drake is sitting there 14 and three. But they want to play the disruptor role, right? Drake and Indiana State tied right now. Bradley kind of in the wings, maybe struggling a little bit more this season. But we have a two-man race, and one of those teams is playing on the road. So there's a lot of uh, excitement. We've been talking a lot about the power conferences. We got to get a little mid-major love in there. I love my mid-major basketball. I know you do too. You and I has been fun. They move fast. This is going to be a, a, sorry, I just read the wrong row. They don't, they they actually are really slow. It's a little embarrassing. Um, (laughs) But um, that that can happen when you're you're reading quickly. But uh, they've been in a little bit of a funk. They just lost to Illinois State on the road Nice, convincing win against Bradley at home makes me think that, you know, this Drake team isn't too far off in terms of caliber. And if they can get up and get a nine-point win against Bradley, you're going to catch points at home with you and I here probably for sure. Like, even if we get the spot tax, even if it rears its ugly head and you have to pay to get you and I, I think the most you're going to pay is two points. I think you and I plus two is a pretty fair opener. You and I two and a half, three would be great. I think I'm going to jump on it. I like the home dog here. This is a big game. I think we saw them look ahead. How are they losing to Illinois State? So uh, they're they're definitely they definitely have this one circled. They lost to Drake uh, at Drake. Again, this is kind of the team outside of Indiana State who's kind of taken the conference by storm. Drake's been that team, and uh, I, I do think they will try to get it done. They took them to double overtime in a game last year. Um, I, I think I, I do think they get it. I do think this is going to be a battle. It's it's one of these rivalries within the conference that wouldn't shock me if they split every single year. So, uh, yeah, I like Northern Iowa to get it at home and probably some good value on the money line because a lot of the models are going to have a three, four, five point projection. I don't think the projection's wrong. I just think this is one of those late season games where, uh, you know, it's it's just going to be a, a tough spot. It's got a lot of threes. Maybe go over on this one, honestly. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting, though. Yeah, get your Drake U and I comments in the YouTube comment section as we <laughs> speak. But one little comment I have, and I agree with you. I like this spot for the Panthers, especially because they're trying to get that buy in the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. I'm also trying to get myself to Arch Madness in a couple weeks. I really, really want to get a ticket down on SIU for a second straight year. And I'll have an article about that. A little bit of an early conference tournament, mid-major conference tournament primer with some notes about SIU and why I like the Salukis in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament if they get that bye. But Northern Iowa also in the mix for a bye right behind SIU. 
Only area of concern, though, is you mentioned three-point volume. They shot the lights out against Valpo. They shot the lights out against Bradley. Look at spot against Illinois State. I'm with you there for sure, but also maybe a little bit of three-point regression. So if you get negative three-point variance again, Drake beat them by 14 in the last matchup. Better spot for you and I. Maybe Tucker DeVries undergoes some negative variance himself. One of the best scorers in the country. But I like your lean. I like your bet if this hits like three, three and a half. But yeah. I don't know, man. I'm just a little worried oh, about I know. you and I's three-point shooting for light off. I do. I, I, I do understand it. I mean, look, Drake is an incredible shot-making team. Um, and, and there's definitely some questions here about the UNI offense. Uh, Drake's been a good defensive force. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I, I do think we see a tight game, though, uh, and an exciting one. Even, you know, three, four points just because Drake's projected to win. Uh, you know, still still going to be a fun one. I think one you definitely want to tune into. I wouldn't be shocked if these teams match up again when we get to Arch Madness. So maybe maybe something to watch in terms of, of the scheming and how it goes because there could be a third opportunity for these teams to meet later in the season. Yeah, and one thing on your side, no doubt, Ben Jacobson, one of the better mid-major coaches in the country. Oh, yeah. He's been there for a, a long time. Also something in your favor, Bowen didn't play in their first matchup, and he's one of their better three-point shooters. So definitely another positive if you like the Panthers with Justin. But on to a couple games on the Sunday card. First up, Creighton at St. John's. Alluded to this earlier, but Creighton upsetting UConn. We touched on that. I hit on the Blue Jays earlier in the week as a three-point home dog against the Huskies, but now they're projected (laughs) to be about a, yeah, three-point road favorite at St. John's. Haslam makes this closer to Blue Jays minus four. I have it around Creighton minus two and a half, so a little bit on the outside of the potential point spread and Haslam on the other. Where does shot quality have this one, Justin? Right up. Four as well, 75-71 win for Creighton. Uh, Creighton, man, one of the epitomes of shot qualities, um, I guess, you know, tactics. Um, and, and literally, Simon was on a, a show, a podcast. We just retweeted from the shot quality account. He says, like, this is probably his favorite team just in terms of the way that they're built, uh, their ability to shoot the three, uh, the spacing, uh, number one team in shot making. Uh, number three team in rim and three shot quality points per possession. Number 11 in spacing. Uh, it's it's really, really cool to see. And then they do it again the other way, right? So number one in rim and three rate allowed. Um, number one in shot selection allowed. So they're playing really sharp on both sides of the ball. Uh, the mid-range against Creighton, they face the fifth most mid-range in the country. That's not an accident. They're not exactly incredible at defending it. Average 158th, but... You know, that's still 0.8 points per possession. It's so different than when you get to the rim or take threes. Even if you're good at defending the three, achieving a 0.8 point per possession is hard to do when the makes are worth three points. So, uh, yeah, Creighton's been really good. I'm going in this game. I'm really excited about this one. I got my tickets. I'm going to be sitting uh, in the first bowl going with my dad. Uh, who really, I don't think he's been to a St. John's game in Manhattan since, like, you know, he was studying at like CUNY Queens in, you know, the 1980s. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a really cool one for me. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be enjoying it. I, I tend to think I will be staying off uh, and just enjoying the game. But if I had to take a bet, I'd probably fading St. John's. I've been watching a lot of the season. Um, you know, the, the comments in the media, I wouldn't really pay much mind to it. If you know a lot about Rick Pitino, he just likes to 
hear himself sort of say these crazy things and players sort of understand its motivation and he's just a sicko who wants to win and i love that about him but and i do think this is going to be a huge point for them to push but it's madison square garden i i think we're going to see like a show they got their win against georgetown that wasn't pretty i i think this could be a a loss for sure Creighton's shooting, it could be just awesome. I think the, the fans will be out more for a show from Creighton, maybe more than like the St. John's Faithful. It's, I don't know if, you know, it, they're not filling that stadium. It's hard to do. Uh, so it can feel a little empty. It still can get kind of loud. And the UConn game was like, I think one of the first true like sellouts that we saw there. But again, that was the away fans piling in for UConn coming down from Hartford. So uh, and they got, washed so yeah i i do think it's still a little bit of a tough spot here for rick patino and his team i've seen just some ineptitude as a fan from you know some of the guards who are definitely having difficulty defensively um soriano's awesome but you know he's just not uh the the player that i think that we need him to be right now i think next year's prospects look great but for now you can probably take crazy i I'm with you on maybe that was a little bit of fandom to stay away oh, yeah, on is. your that's side why, of that's things. That's why I'm not, I'm not betting it. You know, that's why it's a no bet. Right. Going to the game, watching it, like out of the games we've talked about here, probably take my opinion with the least amount of credence on this one because I am brainwashed from being <laughs> two miles from the stadium. <laughs> yeah, I have fun at the game, A. Thank B, you. I think there's a little bit of an edge to St. John's, and I, I don't have a big enough edge to advocate for it, but sure. – a, Creighton did a great job game planning wise against UConn, not only getting that three point variance positively, but also they blitzed every ball screen. They didn't allow UConn to get three point looks. They got some help with Donovan Klingon sitting on the bench for what a half of the first half. So that allowed Cockbrenner to dominate down low, and Ashworth was hitting everything in sight five of 13 from three over his last, I think it's 11 games, 15.2 points per game. Four boards a game, five assists, 39% from three and just one and a half turnovers during this 11-game stretch. So he has really come on and adjusted to the Big East after playing in a mid-major in the Mountain West. Not that that's a easy conference by any stretch, but St. John's revenge on its mind. Remember, that, that wasn't just a loss at Creighton. They probably should have gotten a foul call and had a chance to win the game at the line with Dingle. And despite the defensive issues, especially on fast break opportunities. That's also another thing. If Creighton gets out and leaks out in transition against Georgetown, 16 points in transition for the Hoyas. It's been an issue for St. John's all season yep. long. I think there was actually something to be said for what Patino remarked about or had to say about his players with Soriano and Ledlam with their lateral quickness because this team can't defend in transition. So if Creighton is dominating in that regard and St. John's can't set its defense, then I think Creighton should cover this number, but if St. John's attacks the drop coverage well and Denise Jenkins is a big game in the mid-range against that caulk drop coverage, then they're able to set, maybe pressure the ball against Ashworth, generate some turnovers, yep, yep. could cover, could pull off the upset, but stay away game for me. Yeah, I look, Soriano could be that, you know, could could get into Kalkbrenner and, and on the road, uh, look, I don't want to say that Klingon getting those early fouls is the entire reason that UConn had trouble, but it certainly doesn't help. So there's so many factors, obviously. Right. And, and like we, we talk about games. I, I like to say we, you know, usually I handicap games within 
the middle of the curve, assuming that's what we're going to see, right? And you need to, you know, there could be that occurrence where Kalkbrenner's out with fouls early and, and St. John's able to really uh, run the ball and penetrate inside and use him off the pick and roll action to, act, you know, do some damage. And maybe, you know, Ashworth has a, a, a colder game. It's it's probably not going to be as hot. <laughs> Excuse me, but yeah, stay away, stay away for sure. It's gonna be it's gonna be back and forth. There's probably gonna be good opportunities to get in on both sides of plus money if you want a good live, fun live betting opportunity. That's probably how I'll play. I'll be at the, you know there playing both sides. Hopefully you get some Wi-Fi and you're not relying on 5G. I know AT&T had some sort of outage. So hopefully that doesn't happen yet again. Oh, there you go. There you go. Tout Verizon here on Outside Shots. (laughs) On to the final game on the Sunday card for us. FAU, Florida Atlantic, coming off of that Final Four appearance at Memphis. Owls projected to be a two-point road favorite. Haslam makes this right around. FAU minus two. I actually have this closer to pick them between that and FAU minus one. So this is my second biggest edge per my raw numbers with siding with Memphis. And we're recording this before FAU plays SMU on Thursday night. So keep that in mind. But assuming they cover, I think it is a good spot to back Memphis. Must win game. Probably not on the bubble at all, even with a win here. But still to get hot into the AAC tournament, which I think they can have a shot to make a run. In that specific tournament, I also think the market will continue to shade towards FAU just because of the tax making the Final Four last year. We talk about various taxes on this episode with Duke and other teams. The tax is there with FAU for sure. We saw that last week as a five and a half, six point road favorite at South Florida. But Memphis bouncing back against Charlotte on Wednesday night, 22-point win. FAU's paint defense ranks in the 28th percentile over its last Five games, and they're struggling to limit second-chance shots during that span. And Naquan Tomlin, who transferred over from K-State midseason, and Dandridge, really, really good paint players offensively and also at generating second-chance shots. So I like the home spot here for Memphis, and my raw numbers do as well. What do you make this game, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, I have this one pretty close to a pick-up shot quality. It's going to be a little bit closer to three. Um, I... It's tough. This is tough. Uh, you know, Memphis, this team, I think, has been one of the bigger letdowns in, in this conference. I, they were what, like plus 180. Uh, FAU, I think, has been right there with them. Uh, people were saying that FAU would be undefeated going into conference play. They took three losses in non-con. Uh, you know, they were heralded as top five, you know, coming into the season, and they clearly have not been that and i i was on the the hater bus i didn't really you know think that fau was going to be that i you know watched them play they got very lucky uh, that run was fueled by luck some hot shooting that's okay that's how every single run in march madness is probably built there's very few things in march madness that happen because you just played average or you know you didn't get a little lucky there <laughs> it's march madness so uh and that's a something a hill i will die on so uh yeah I, I do think this is a home spot for memphis where they need to kind of start picking it up fau definitely has in my opinion a glaring weakness which is like what do they do with you know vlad golden not on the floor in terms of the way that they're able to space and, and attack the paint and develop their shots outside of course they still have some of these awesome players. I'm a big Elijah Martin fan. Like I met him when he was playing in New York last year. Big fan. But 
you know, this is this is definitely a spot where, especially again, like you said, there is probably some uh, contingency with with this SMU game, with this game coming uh, on the what on the twenty fifth. We're playing this one, yeah. So it's, it's gonna be to be such a good one. But uh, I do think FAU's had a hard time covering. I've I'm only seeing like what three covers in their last like 10, 12 games. It's it's been tough here and, and being a slight road favorite hasn't been a bad thing this season necessarily, but yeah, I'll, I'll if as long as we're not paying too high of attacks and I can get like plus 1 or the equivalent on the money line, I'm I'm probably leaning Memphis. You can find all of our bets in the Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Also, remember, if you want to tailor fader bets, you can use the Lines promo code over at BetMGM Sportsbook. First-time users, bet $5. You get up to $150 back in bonus bets instantly. And for further details, head over to thelines.com. He is Justin Perry, the content lead for Shot Quality Bets. Anything you want to promote, Justin, before we get out of here? Oh, please. Uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> honestly, I'm having such a because I'm having such a good time with my brand new show over at Shot Quality Bets called BetCast, Shot Quality Live BetCast. We use our live regression model, which is pretty one of a kind uh, to essentially make plays in game. Home of halftime is what we like to call it. You know, we have our expected score within, you know, two minutes, three minutes of what's actually happening on the floor. Sometimes faster than some of like, you know, the ESPN app. Sometimes we can be ahead of an ESPN plus stream. The data is really quick. Uh, we're processing everything based off of what we're getting from uh, play-by-play feeds, using our databases on players to evaluate how much a shot is worth, how often they make each shot, you know, assigning our make percentages, and then having a live shot quality score. And, you know, I've been sitting there like live streaming, making plays like a madman in 45 minute spurts plays every two to three minutes and hitting at like a 59% rate. So the data has been speaking for itself. We've had like a, we took, you know, that, that Indiana plus 1100, that Ohio state collapse. We had Bowling green plus 700 on Tuesday going into overtime. It's, it's been crazy. I'm having so much fun. So uh, if you guys like live data and want to investigate, maybe getting your hands on some stuff that, clearly has an edge right now from honestly one of my favorite data teams in basketball i highly recommend checking it out and you could follow justin on twitter at justin perry eight you can follow shot quality bets at shot quality bets you can follow me at eli herskovich you can follow the lines at the lines us remember to comment with your favorite bets on the youtube channel here give the video a thumbs up ring the bell to subscribe to the lines youtube channel also leave a five-star rating and a review on apple spotify wherever you find your favorite podcast we always appreciate it over at thelines.com you could also read my betting previews for this weekend over at thelines.com those come out on friday so for justin and for myself eli herskovich thanks for watching and listening to another edition of outside shots so long everybody and good luck on your bets 